This is a truly incredible story, which is brought in in in, in Svarim, about the Helik Balshemtiv. The Balshemtiv was for a certain period uh, quite withdrawn in himself. You never want to say about Atzadik that he was depressed. And um, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't speak of Atzadik as being depressed. And according to the Tanya, the reason is because depression has to do with klipa, with evil. And Tzadikim have no klipa, have no evil, and thus there's no such thing as depression. There's no such thing as a cloud. Instead, we call it the katnos or histalkus hamoichin, a withdrawal because of a lack of inspiration, if you will. He was not happy to be very direct. And the Talmidim of the Holy Baal Shem Tev were obviously very disturbed. And they had undertaken to bring him out of his bad mood. And it was futile. It was, eff- it was uh, useless. The Baal Shem Tev was simply preoccupied. And this went on for a considerable period of time, say weeks. Until one fine day, a simple Yiddelah shows up in, in Mezhebush by the Hedekah Baal Shem Tev. And it comes to the Baal Shem Tev Shtibul, the Baal Shem Tev Medrish. Baal Shem Tev sees him, he goes up to him, he gives him Shalom Aleichem and he greets him. And the Baal Shem Tev spirits immediately begin to lift. And he sits down with this very simple man and engages him in a lengthy conversation. And they're talking and they're fabringing and they're laughing together like, like, like boyhood friends, like old buddies. And this simple Jew successfully drew the Baal Shem Tev out of himself and brought him into a more joyous space. Now naturally, the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tev were incredibly curious. How is it possible that such an ordinary person should have such an incredible inf- influence on the Baal Shem Tev's mood? So they asked him about it. And the Baal Shem Tev told them the following. This was a very, very simple man and a very, very poor man who had undertaken to do the mitzvah of Esrig with extraordinary dedication. So all year long he would raise and put aside pennies. So when Sukkot's time came, he could purchase a more than ordinary esrig. And usually he would have the nicest esrig in, in the town or in the region. and He would spend a few rubles, which was for him a wealth, with a lot of money. And uh, this was his mitzvah, esrig. Well, one year, obviously he was poor, and his wife was always complaining about the pennies he's putting aside. One year they needed the money, I think, to make a wedding, and he refused to allow his wife access to the money. And it came circus time, and he went and he bought his esrig, and she was very upset they needed the money for the wedding. She insisted that he sell the esrig, take the resources, and use it for the cost, for the expenditure that they had. He refused, so she bit the pitam off the esrig. In other words, no money, no esrig. The esrig is not kosher and you can't sell it. And this man did not get angry at his wife at all. And he said to himself, the fact that my wife had bitten the tip, the pitim, of the esrig is a sign from on high that I'm not supposed to use an esrig of this quality this year. And he accepted the absolutely uh, useless Loss. So the Halik of Hashemtiv said to his Talmidim that this man overcame a test that was greater than the test that Avram Avinu passed when taking Yitzchak to the Akedah. 
So when I met him, I obviously celebrated with him. You know, everybody knows the story of the Akedah. Avraham Avinu took his only son by the divine command and was prepared to offer him up to the Eibishter. And it wasn't until the very last moment that a Malach was sent to redeem Yitzchak and so forth. And all of us understand that the fact that Avraham did it, and he did it with alacrity, and he did it with joy, and that he was the first one to do such a thing, made Avraham Avinu very special. Here the Vashemta says about a, simen, a simple townsperson, a simple villager, a simple farmer, that by not getting angry with his wife under conditions which were so frustrating and so insoluble or unsoluble, he had experienced a test greater than the test of Ram and uh, Sada. And who ever heard of this man? <laughs> You're comparing an act of one of the greatest or perhaps the greatest believer in history to the act of a Pashta Shtetl Yid in his own personal life. It's, it's, it's a truly incredible story. Let's move on to another story. And I'll come back to my point later. All of us know the story of Kukuriku Han. It's in the Lukuta the Buddha. The previous Rebbe tells the story himself. It's quite famous. I'm sure we've shared this story in our earlier lessons where the Baal Shem Tev was once on Yom Kippur very preoccupied in davening. Because he saw this terrible decree and he was unable to break it. As the davening of Ne'ilah continued and continued and continued and everybody else in the shul had already completed their davening and the Baal Shem Tev was still deep in prayer. The Chavraya Kedisha understood that there was something very, very real that Baal Shem Tev was busy with and they engaged in prayer, prayer and saying, Tillam, and soon the entire base Medrash by the Holy Baal Shem Tev and Mezhabush was impassioned, was inspired with feelings of tshuva, trying to, so to speak, support the Baal Shem Tev's effort at achieving whatever it was he felt he needed to achieve. Finally, this, in the back of the shul, was a simple peasant boy who never came to shul except Yom Kippur. And he didn't speak a word of Hebrew. He would hold the machzid, the sidr all day long, and just stand in the back of the room. And when the fast was over, he would leave and go back to his village, and his mother would feed him, and this was his Yom Kippur. And he had a great skill at mimicry. He could imitate sounds very well. And he loved to imitate the sounds of all of the creatures of the forest and of the, of the domesticated stock. And he would imitate the sounds of the various animals on the farm and out on the wilderness. And of course his favorite sound was the sound of the rooster. The crowing rooster. So when he saw all of this passion and all this intensity and all this prayer and he wanted to join in. He understood that something real was happening. He wanted to be a part of it. He didn't know how. So he showered from the deepest depths of his soul. Kukari Kuhan. Which was a cry of a rooster. But to him, it was a cry of his neshama that called out to God in a language, if you will, which was familiar to him personally. So naturally, the people in the shul, considering the time and place and circumstance, assumed that this young peasant boy was being silly and being rude. And of course they pounced on him and they wanted to teach him a lesson. And quickly the Baal Shem Tev finished his Amidah, his davening, and he turned around and indicated to leave the boy alone. And later, after Yom Kippur was over, and the Baal Shem Tev sat down with his Talmidim to have the, the post-Yom Kippur meal, so he told him that I saw this terrible decree in a particular community, 
and the gates of heavens were sealed. No matter what I did, there was a steel door separating me from the alleviation of the tzaras of these people. And then as I prayed, I heard more and more voices and I was joined by many other tzaddikim and ordinary people who prayed along with me in hope of uh, alleviating whatever situation was going on on high. And it was all to no avail. The, the, the gates of heaven were sealed. Suddenly there was a cry, Kukurikuhan, that tore apart the steel gates of the heavens and broke through all of the barriers and completely removed and obliterated the decree. And of course, here again, it seems counterintuitive, against what you would expect. That a simple Jew in his incredible simplicity had this incredible impact, a greater impact, Kayachal, than the Baal Shem Tev himself. And of course, finally, you have a third story, also quite familiar, which is the same principle that there was a, a Yid who lived in Badichev, who traveled around the Revim Kippur raising money for Pidyon Shvoyim. There was a family in Ebach that had, couldn't pay its rent, and as was the custom in Eastern Europe in those generations. Him, his wife, and his children were thrown into a pit, into a dungeon, and left there to rot until somebody would come and redeem them. So this Yid spent his entire Revim Kippur going around making money to redeem this couple. How much money are you going to collect from a shtetl? So finally, he went into a tavern, into a bar. And in the tavern he met a group of uh, people who I suppose couldn't be considered the best element. And they see him walking in and he asked them for money and they gave him a couple of pennies. And he sort of was pressuring them for a better donation. And they laughed at him. And uh, to play a, a practical joke, one of them said, you know what, to drink this glass of very, very strong vodka, this glass of spirit, and I'll give you, whatever it was, a considerable amount of money, 10 rubles, 50 rubles, a good portion of the total that he needed to redeem this family. So he downed his glass of vodka, and he got his payoff. And then the fellow offered that he drink a second glass of vodka and he'll give him the same amount of money a second time. To make a long story short, this man drank himself absolutely silly, raised the entire sum, brought it to the potters, brought it to the landowner, and this whole family was home before Yom Kippur. This Jew, who had sacrificed his head of Yom Kippur for the benefit of his other family, staggered home, I don't know if he had time to eat or not time to eat, and uh, when it was Yom Kippur, he, he rolled into Shul, literally. <laughs> he rolled into the Shul and he was happy as high as can be. The mood in the room was somber, it was solemn, it's Yom Kippur and everyone was getting ready and they're all dressed out with their kittles and their talesim and everyone has their place and they're waiting for the Helika Badichev to make his appearance in the base Medrash. And when the Badichev finally enters the room and goes to his spot, this thoroughly drunken Yid runs over to the Oren Kedesh and rips open the uh, Paraiches, which you do with an Arivim Kippur by Kondetri, and announces loud and clear, O Matareisa, which is of course what is said, Simchas So here again, the people were very disturbed by this, this drunken Jew, and they wanted to schlep him out of the Beis Hamedesh, and the Holy Badishiv said, By him it's now Simchas He's gone through the judgment of Yom Kippur and the struggles of Sukkot. He's spiritually at the point of Simchas already. 
And the fact that he may have not done all the rituals is immaterial. He's arrived. He's gone past all of these struggles and these challenges and these issues. What do all these three stories have in common? And of course there are many others, but this will be sufficient. They introduce an idea which is discussed in Hasidus in a number of places. If I'm not wrong, there's a Sukkis Maime from Tafresh Ayintes from 1918-19 where the Rebbe Rashab makes this point. And if I'm not wrong, the Rebbe once said that Maime in a, in a, during his Nasius, but I may be wrong. And what this Maimir, what these Maimorim introduce to us is the concept that everything in Judaism has two models, an inner model and an outer model, an ideal model and an over-the-top model, or the Chavtil model. How it's supposed to be in a perfect world and how it is in a less-than-perfect world. In other words, there are two pathways to God. There's the straight and narrow, which has to be followed straight and narrow, consistent, no deviations to the right, to the left, certainly no steps back. And then there is the person who's off the road. He doesn't know where he is. But he can transcend, he can jump over, he can go beyond any limitations by digging very deep into himself, finding a strength and a power and a possibility which allows him to go, to break all the rules and to, and to come as close to God that nobody else can come notwithstanding how conditioned and how straight and how narrow they may be. The best example for this, really the best example for this, is uh, very current, very timely. It's a Purim example. Next week is Purim. And you know that the Kunizeh says about comparing Yom Kippur to Purim. Kippur and Purim are as different as two holidays can be. And yet the Kunizeh says that Yom Kippur is like Purim. And of course, everybody's got an opinion as to what's the similarity between Yom Kippur and Purim. And in fact, that Purim is considered greater than Yom Kippur. What does Hasidah say? Hasidah says that Yom Kippur and Purim share a goidel, a lottery. At the center of the service of Yom Kippur was a lottery between the Karban Lashem and Lazozel. And of course, in the Purim story, the entire story revolves around Homan's lottery, Homan's Goidel. What's the mysticism of a Goidel? What's the mysticism of a lottery? The mysticism of a Goidel is that you are not tapping into God and godliness. You are not tapping into your own inner strength and your own inner potential and your own inner possibilities in a reasonable way but in a random way. In other words, when you have a connection to Hashem, you can come to Hashem and say, listen, I'm a tzaddik, give me. Or I'm not such a big tzaddik, but I'm not such a bad guy, forgive me. Or you can come to Hashem and say, listen, Hashem, whatever the score is, I'm your son and you're my father and that's just the way it is. I'm reading now the new book that was published recently about Rabbi Greenglass, Oliver Sholem, the Chayin of Racha. And I read a story the other day how in Tashon Chafal of 1961, I believe, the Rebbe was disappointed in the Bochrim. The Bochrim had defied their Hanhola in Montreal and had in fact undertaken to lecture their Hanhola. They had actually sort of told their administration, how they should administer them. And the Rebbe was very upset that the Bochum had 
overstepped their bounds. And if I'm not wrong, he had suggested or contemplated even having some of the boys leave the yeshiva. Rabbi Greenglass, who was also remembered on Hola, found himself in the Rebbe's room in the uncomfortable position of having to defend these bachrim. He didn't want the Rebbe should have a kpeda. The Rebbe was really upset. So in his desperation, he says to the Rebbe, Benkach Benkach Bonayim. If you're into the music world, this is a Remel. Remel Fried made a niggin on these words. The tune is quite upbeat, but the words are very powerful. In either case, be it this way or this way, they're my children. And I cannot redeem them or replace them with another people. You can't trade your children in. This is what you got. And he, he watched the Rebbe calm down. He watched the Rebbe warm to what he said. He said, listen, these are your kinelach. They made a mistake, they stepped over the line, they did something wrong, but these are yours. And that's all there is to it. And the Rebbe sort of accepted that, um, that justification, that limut chus, and he, so to speak, left the Bokram alone. Goyrul means, you come to Hashem and say, listen Hashem, I'm not coming to you because I'm deserved. I'm not coming to you because I'm pious and righteous. I'm coming to you because I'm your child. And the relationship between parents and children is super rational. It's completely beyond reason. Or as the, uh, my modern bring, Ach, Esav, Yankov. Yankov and Esav are equal. They're brothers. And V'oyev, Yankov, Esav, Sanesi, I love Jacob, and I hate Esav, and I don't even know why. What is the celebration of Purim? Chayev, Inish, Levesume, Vipurim. It's a mitzvah to become drunk on Purim. Until you cannot distinction, distinguish between Baruch Mordechai, the blessing of Mordechai, and Arar Haman, the curse of Haman. They state in the Gemara, it's brought in Shulchan Aruch. What kind of religion is that? And the explanation is, you get so drunk and put him, you don't understand why Haman is blessed and Haman is cursed and Mordechai is blessed, but you know, without knowing why, that Baruch Mordechai and Arar Haman. In other words, not you get out of your mind and you can therefore accept the blessing for the, for the Rosha and the curse for the Tzadik. You're drunk out of your mind. You still know Baruch Martchai. You still know Arar Haman, but you forgot why. Because it's beyond reason. And Koyachal, similarly, the Abishnim's relationship with his people on the level of Gaidel, it's beyond reason that God Almighty favors us. And Yom Kippur, we throw a lottery between the two Karbonis to indicate this idea. And I'm putting the entire Yom Tif celebrates Al-Shem Apur, the lottery, because the story of Purim is Venapichu, about Haman's Goidel, and so forth and so on. There's no time to go into any more details. But, the form is extraordinarily different. On Yom Kippur, how do you bring yourself to a station, to a place, to a state of Goidel? Don't eat, don't sleep, don't drink, dress like an angel, be an angel, try to be an angel. Isolate yourself, remove yourself from the ordinary every li- everyday life that you live, and try to be as pious and righteous as possible. And if you're zeicha, if you have the good fortune, you'll access the so-called level of goyel, for which God loves us unconditionally. And I'm putim, we drink ourselves silly. We drink ourselves absolutely silly, to the point of Adaloyada ben Baruch Mordechai so the Tikkun Isaiah says that the drunken Adalayada of Purim is greater than the very exacting meditation and prayer of 
creating a vessel for the manifesting of Goyal associated with Yom Kippur. Purim is actually higher than Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur you're experiencing this very deep idea in Judaism called a Goyal in the straight and narrow. In Purim you're experiencing the same outside of the box. No rules. And this is something which exists throughout Judaism. Everything in Yiddishkeit has a structured and contained framework for their performance and manifestation. And on the other hand, there is an alternative but similar idea which says if you're outside of the box, so to speak, do this instead. For example, davening and karbonas. In the straight and the narrow, you bring a carbon. Nowadays, there's no base on Mikdash. You're not allowed to build a bomber. When the Shalma Fodim Sfaseni, we pay for our sacrifice with prayer, with our lips. Tefillah, Keneged, Karbonais, Tiknam. Prayer corresponds to the sacrifices, which is a couple of tricks. When you bring a carbon, you can only do it by day and not by night. It has to be of particular species, it can't be of any species. It has to be 100% perfect, it can't be blemished in any way, and all kinds of other considerations. When you bring a carbon of davening nowadays, it can be effective against Zodin, doing Aved on purpose, prayer can get you forgiven. Any person, any time, any place, there's no day, there's no night, there's no Beis HaMikdash, there's no Yerushalayim, there's no Eretz Yisrael, a Jew can ask the Ebrishter to forgive him. And the forgiveness will extend even to Aved as it is on purpose. So Purim and Yom Kippur are similar. But in reality, Purim exceeds Yom Kippur. And I can go on and on. I really can go on and on. You know, I wrote on my margin, Mach Doa Eretz Yisrael. A chassid wants to go to Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the straight and narrow. Tzemach Tzedek says, make Eretz Yisrael here. Broaden the definition. And so forth and so on. But all of this adds up to this. That there is a narrow and precise and exact model, which we'll call for the sake of argument the tzaddik model or the guula model. And then there's the inexact model, the compromise model that overcompensates for the compromise and affects not only something which is equal to, but perhaps something which is even greater than what can be achieved within the framework of the straight narrow in a broader context, in a unconstrained kind of an environment. This is the introduction to tonight's class. Last week we talked about Beis Hamikdash, and particularly the Kruvim, the cherubs, which sat on the deck on top of the Holy Ark. And we discussed how these Kruvim represent a Merkava, a chariot through which godliness is brought down through them to us, Bria, Atzilus, all kinds of exciting stuff. But there's one thing that's true about the Kruvim and about the Beis Hamikdash, that they exist in one time and in one place. There's no way to make now altogether. The Arun exists, but it's hidden. So we don't have the possibility to connect to Hashem by god- godliness manifesting on the chairs, manifesting on the Kruvim, so that through the Kruvim, through the Merkava of the Kruvim, Hashem has a relationship to ourselves. So last week, we talked about how it used to be. How it was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, when there were Kruvim, where there was a Beis HaMikdash, the Shekhinah rested, and so forth and so on. Tonight and next week, with the help, of course, and the help and the grace and the graciousness of God, 
we explore the following question. What about us? No base on Mekdash, no order, no Kruvim. How are we supposed to, so to speak, bring godliness forward, make a vessel, a cover for godliness down here in this world? Tonight's answer is going to be Torah. And next week's answer is going to be a Mitzvah on the idea of Avoida and Birudim, as you'll see a Mitzvah Hashem next week. So let's get to the Maimir. Last week we learned about Kruvim and about Adam Ha'elyin and Adam Matachtin, which means the idea that there's some kind of a reciprocal relationship between godliness and creation. There's a point where man meets godliness, and there's a point where godliness meets man. The lowest edge of godliness is godliness meeting with Adam, and the highest point in Adam meets the lowest point in godliness. And they're represented by the two kruv, the two cherubs, that sat on either edge of the holy ark, one kruv was male, which is representative of the godliness as it's manifest in the form of Adam. The other one is female, which represents the Jewish nation as in the most ideal form. And he broke it down into kruvim and Adam details. Details. The point is that the Beis HaMektosh and the kruvim that sat in the Kedosh HaKadoshim represented, in effect, a Merkava, a chariot, a seat for the manifesting of godliness. And therefore, godliness met the seat. Of course, the Beis HaMikdash has only one holy of holies and one set of Kruvim. There's all kinds of rules and all kinds of constraints and containments only here and only this way and so forth and so on. So there was a point and a circumstance that the Jewish people were created, of course, by the, the commandments of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to create God Almighty a seat. But the seat had to be created in a very specific, straight and narrow way, for lack of words, if you will. Well, there's no Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. The Holy Ark may not be destroyed, but at least it's hidden away. The Rebbe has a Sikh in the Kutesikh that says that the Holy Ark in its hidden chamber is still a Holy Ark, and it's still in the Holy of Holies. But it's hidden away. So what now? How can we create Kruvim for the seat of godliness? How can we create other Matachtin to be in position to receive the inspiration, the enlightenment that comes down to us from Adam Elyin. And there are two answers. The first answer is Torah, Torah Shabbat Peh, we'll talk about it. And the second answer is Mitzvah, we'll talk about that next week. So let's begin. Ava Meshachar, Beis HaMikdash, line 58, please. Beis HaMikdash is now unfortunately destroyed. V'nig HaKruvim. And the cherubs are hidden away, the Kruvim are lost to us. Consequently, the seat, the vehicle, the intermediate through which godliness is manifest in the world, within the parameters of what we would call the straight and narrow, is gone. Now skip this parenthesis. And therefore we get to the title of this particular Maimir. This is the request of the, Jew, the Jewish collective, or the collective Jew. I wish I could make of you, God Almighty, like my brother. The idea that the Jewish nation are brothers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we discussed last week, is the idea where we meet him on, on equal terms. Adam Atachtan, the, the human man, meets Adam Elyin, the supernal man. And although this is godly and this is ordinary, but a man and a man, and of course I don't mean man as opposed to woman, I mean a man as opposed to infinity, have something in common. And as a result, we describe Cloud Yisrael, or Knesset Yisrael, as being like a brother, 
to godliness because they're aligned with godliness. So the Pasuk says in the very last chapter of Shirashidim, the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed. I wish now too I could be your brother. To be as the brother of godliness. In other words, there should be a framework which will allow us to be a Merkava, to interact with godliness, which is the equivalent of the brother-type relationship that we had in the Beis HaMikdash, and the Kruvim, and other Me'elian, and the answer, and so forth. As it was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, that the relationship between godliness and Yidin was like brothers. Their faces face one another, which shows an incredible alignment, as if there's almost an equality between godliness and Adam. How do we acquire this? How do we achieve this? How do we affect this now as well? And of course, we're not going to affect the building cherubs, Kruvim. You're not allowed to build Kruvim. In the end of Pashas Yisrael, the Torah says specifically, you're not allowed to build Kruvim, there's a Rashi, there's a Ramban, there's different opinions, there's a Sikhe. You're not allowed to make Kruv men of silver, you're not allowed to make Kruv men of gold in another place, and so forth and so on. There's one set of Kruv only in the Holy of Holies, period, the end. So clearly, if we're going to create a Merkava, a seat, for godliness to manifest, to the degree where we can speak of ourselves and Him, so to speak, or like brothers... It has to be a different model. It has to be a model which is outside of the box. And the answer is the high new ideas like Teda. To the story of Teda. It says in Chazal, There is no seat for the godliness of HaKadosh Baruch in this world, Ella only the four cubits where Halacha is learned and interpreted and fixed. And I want to make a Important comment. You'll see later on in tonight's class that the Rebbe is going to draw a distinction vaguely and very uh, concisely between Teresh Vaksav and Teresh between the biblical Teda and the rabbinic Teda, the Tanakh and the Chazal. And he's going to compare it to Chochman Bina, father and a mother, all kinds of details. The real issue is this. Teresh Vaksav the Bible, Teresh the scripture, is godliness. And if you're holy, sensitive, and in tune, you experience the godliness of the written Teresh. If you're not holy, sensitive, and in tune, you don't experience the godliness of the written Teresh. And you know what else? You understand it very little. Because the written Teresh doesn't make much sense. So instead, you have to delve. You have to explore. You have to dig within the Torah, the written Torah, the scripture, which has gone dark to you. You're not in a position to experience its light. To extract some of its light, not through meditation and mystical approaches, but through an intellectual approach. Using the mind to ask questions and give answers and come to conclusions which will reveal, if not the godly truth of the Torah, the intellectual truth of the Torah. You know, one of the ways of explaining the revolution of the Anshik Nesasagadoyla is exactly this. And I, and I believe I once shared this with you in some detail. The time of the first base, I think they also had a locha. They also had mitzvahs, they had a shokhanorach. But that wasn't the passion of the people. That was a byproduct. The passion of the people was prophecy. It was an age of enlightenment. If you wanted to get close to God, you meditated and you experienced godliness. 
Now in a world where people are in tune with godliness, the mitzvahs that they do and the Torah that they study is so inspired, is so motivated by that enlightenment, by that prophecy, that it's, it's, it's a relatively speaking easy thing to do and to determine. In other words, when you have Ruach HaKadosh and Nevoah, to figure out what the Halacha is, is far less of a struggle than the Ruach HaKadosh and the Nevoah itself. The Anshik Kansas Agadela watched the base of Mikdash be destroyed. The nation of Israel leave at Yisrael to a man, absolutely, which resulted in the Shekhinah departing altogether from the Holy Land. And when they would come back in Shiva Siyam, when the second base of Mikdash would be built, they wouldn't retrieve the Shekhinah that existed in the times of the first base of Mikdash. That's not coming back to Mashiach. So the Anshik Kansas Agadela made a conscious decision. We've got to de-emphasize the spirituality and prophetic dimension of Judaism and overemphasize or emphatically emphasize the scholarly and intellectual dimension of the Torah because that's the only way the Jewish nation are going to be preserved. If we're not in a position to have the inspiration and the godliness, we need the intellect and the scholarship and the struggle to ascertain the halachic truths that are hidden within the Torah. And in fancy mystical terminologies, this is called the ponim, the face of the Torah, godliness, and the achirayim, the rear of the Torah, intellectualism, seichel. So when you experience the enlightenment and godliness of the Torah, the pnimiyas ha the face of the Torah, the achirayim is a byproduct. But when the ponim is gone, all you have is the achirayim, the intellectual ideas. It says the Gemara, God doesn't have a place in this world. Because for God to have a place, you have to have purity, holiness, a temple for Ein Sof to manifest. Dalad Amas Shalaloch, where rabbis sit in, in judgment, not necessarily their fellow man, but of interpreting the Torah, and fix halachas about what is kosher and what is not kosher, and what is permitted, permitted and what is not permitted. The Shekhinah is there. Not because they're enlightened. They aren't. Not because they're experiencing godliness. They don't. Not because they're prophets. They cannot be. But because they're struggling to understand the halacha, the intellectual process by which the law and the halacha is determined. They're not experiencing the enlightenment. And God says, I'm there. I'm there. So this is outside the box. It's not so pure. It's not so holy. It's not so revealed. But it's the Ebishter. When people struggle to understand Teir Shabbat which is a very basic part of the history of our diaspora. We survived 2,000 years. Why? There are many answers. But there's no question that a very serious answer is the, the, the reality of the interpreting of the Torah to tell us how to live our lives practically as Jews and the process that continues to this day and will continue indefinitely of continuing to interpret and fixing Allah is about new questions that arise and new technologies that emerge and new situations that may unfold and, and to pass in halachas. Hashem says, you're not kalim to experiencing Ruach HaKedesh and I'm there. And as you'll see later on, the Rebbe makes a suggestion that perhaps not only is Hashem there where rabbis interpreted Shabbat without the enlightenment, as godliness was manifest in the Beis Amikdash and the cherubs and the Kruvim, 
in a form of Giloy, Ruch HaKedosh, Nevoah, actual manifesting of godliness, but an argument can be made that the godliness brought down through the struggle and interpreting of Halachas of Teresh Baal may be greater than the godliness manifest in the Beis HaMektosh, although we're not experiencing it. And that's what the Pesach is saying, I wish that even in Gauls I could be my, you could be my brother. And the answer is, it happens through nursing from your mother's Shadaya, from your mother's bosom, your mother's breasts. And this of course goes on Teresh HaVal that nowadays in times of Golos, through Yenik Mishtahimai, we bring, we put ourselves in a position to be a Merkava, to be Kruvim for the Abish Deshchina in a framework that's, if you will, outside of the box. And I'm reading now, reading now line 63. This is the idea of nursing from Shadayim of my mother. In other words, you say, we say, that now we can no longer provide Hashem with Kruvim, which will allow the godliness to manifest, but maybe perhaps Hashem will allow Himself to nurse from our mother's bosom, which means from the Te'i which we are struggling with, and allow that to be the vehicle, or to be the Kruv, on which His Insaf, which is Shechina, manifests. That's the oral Tate, and as I insist on interpreting, this is the unenlightened. This is the Ruach HaKadosh list, the Nevuah list. It may reveal the wisdom and will of Hashem. Mamish, but you're not experiencing the godliness. You're experiencing only the intellectual enlightenment and not the godliness, which is the basis for it and which is behind it and which is the truth of it. So you're in the dark and you're struggling to understand Taira. That too is a keli for Ein Saf, for godliness. I'm reading this parenthesis. When a person studies and understands the halacha, masik is grasping and reaching the wisdom of God. And of course the connotation is consciously he knows the ideas. Subconsciously he has the Ein Saf, the godliness which is the Ponim, the Pnimius of the Sacherayim. That once you're connected to God's wisdom, you're connected to God's essence like it's discussed in Tanya, we're not going into it. This what affects, or this what provides a framework or a possibility that Yidin, even in Golos B, Bechines Ach, like brothers to godliness. In other words, Shemakablim, that we, the Jewish people, even in Golos, and Atzilus, which is the Adam of godliness, are both equal in receiving Shneim, both of us, so to speak. from the same source, which goes in Chochme just like the face of Atzilus, the so called man of Atzilus, gets inspiration. From Chachmon Bina Vatzilos, one struggles in Teda to interpret it correctly. And as I mentioned earlier, particularly, he reaches, the wisdom, and the understanding. of God Almighty, blessed be He, though He may only be experiencing the ideas, the Acherayim, in truth through them. He is a keli, he is a merkava, he is a kruv, which is manifesting the godliness. And the Rebbe goes on to say on line 66, This also explains why we compare teda to milk. As you know, teda is compared to milk, and teda is compared to 
honey. And the mysticism for the mystics is that honey is gevura, a very high level of gevura. Cholov also, cholov is chesed. But uh, as it says in the Maimarim, cholov is not so simple because milk, according to Tatum, is a transformation of blood into milk. So it's changing gevura into chesed. But milk is a metaphor for the sweetness of the godliness of Taita. So he brings So the Rebbe says, why would we compare Taita to milk? Because just as milk nourishes, Taita nourishes. For example, a fetus when he's born, a child when he's born. is underdeveloped and he's curled up in a fetal position. And then, of course, when the child is born, he's stretched out and begins to live. But he's entirely dependent and completely helpless. By day, you need and by nursing his mother's milk. Misgad, Lamevad of his limbs grow. And his brain develops, as we know in human children for the first few months, the physical material of the brain is continuing to develop. And what he's developing is another kind of a mind that's called Moichen, the Yenika, the level of intelligence associated with the nursing stage. Which is why that as children begin to eat foods, when they are weaned from their mother's milk, children begin to speak and begin to walk and so forth. The coinciding of the weaning of children from their mother's milk to talking and Walking is not considered coincidental, it's considered precise, because this measure of sophistication or independence or an ability to look after self has to do with a maturation that has to do with the graduating from nursing from the mother. Because it's the mother's milk that nourishes. Vekach and the same is true of Jewish souls. Prior to coming into this world, now obviously they were in Ganeidin. And the Shoming Anaden is in a perfect and in a safe place, protected and embraced. But you know what else? Not in control. And the Shoming Anaden is ising, as they say in some cultures. It's just being. It exists, it's being showered with all kinds of blessings, but it's simply there. It's like being in the, in the best dream in the world. It's an incredible experience, and it's very wonderful, it's very embracing, but it's a dream. And then the Neshama is plucked out of Gan Eden and readied to come down into this world and be born in a world which is not wonderful by any stretch of the imagination. But here the Neshama has got an opportunity. Here the Neshama is not in a dream. The Neshama is wide awake and free to maneuver itself into choosing the access to the godliness it, it craves, it wishes. So, there are steps. Ibur, Yenika, Meichen, the fetal stage, the initial nursing stage, and then there's the developmental stage beyond that connection. In other words, there's so connected to the mother that you're inside of the mother, connected to the mother that you're dependent upon the mother, and independent of the mother. And the mother, of course, is the source, the mother, of course, is God, and in this context, the mother is Tere Shabal Peh. The Rebbe says, initially the child was in a fetal position. It's curled up in Malchus of Atzilus. Then in that condition, the Neshama is still not yet able to express its independence and its freedom, and it's not able to bring forward its higher faculties. But at the same time, the Neshama is in the process 
of becoming a being with free choice. Vizehu, which is the explanation of the Pasuk. I swear, says Ben Ben Yayad, in the name of God, from whom I stood in the past. Now, of course, my Morich Hasid said that this goes on the way Ben Yayad, Ben Yayad's neshama was in Ganid. Here he said this goes on the neshama of Ben Yayad, Ben Yayad, as he was in a fetal stage, he was no longer in Ganid, and not yet born, so he was fixed. But then, descends from a higher world to a lower world. And in this descent, it's being in an interesting kind of a way freed. To come into a body where we're able to be mobile, functional. This is the concept of birth and freedom. This is the mystical concept of being born when the Abisha gave us the Teda. We now have some kind of a freedom. And once we've been born, on the date that the Teda was given, where we go out of being, so to speak, stuck in a position which is completely by governed by others outside of ourselves. We have some measure of freedom, then we use that freedom to study the Teda and grow further. This is line 70 now. We now study Nikra Cholov. It's called milk. Which nourishes and causes the growth. The 248 limbs of the soul. Please skip the parenthesis. And the neshama is developed through the Torah, and as the Rebbe is explaining it here, it's becoming more and more open to the possibility of bringing godliness into the world. is what the Gemara means when it says, "Ashrei misha Fortunate is the neshama of a person who lived in this world and died, and came back here to the heavens. Vitalmude biyad, and he brought us Torah along, because the Torah is the basis for our growth. The growth of the neshama happens not just because we were biologically born, but because we were spiritually born, and that birth has to do with milk, with the study of Teir. And it allows the neshama to achieve a far greater and higher state, as it was initially, when it descended into this world, which was only a condition of birth. In other words, the neshama grows in its independence and its ability to function as an independent being. In the fetal stage, he's completely stuck. Then the neshama is freed through birth, and then by nursing on Taylor, the neshama is being more empowered. By nursing from its mother's womb, uh, I'm sorry, its mother's bosom, who this is the collection of Taylor, which causes the neshama to grow as a seat, as a vehicle for the manifesting of godliness, whether the neshama consciously experiences that godliness, or that godliness is brought down in a subconscious way, is a detail, but in truth, this neshama becomes a ach, a brother, the neshama grows exponentially, incredibly. So now we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, we don't have Kruvim, we have Teda. And here too, no constraints, one set of Kruvim, only in the base of Mekdash. No one ever saw him. Anybody, anytime, any place, in any conditions can study Taita. There are no constraints. Nothing is holding us back. So although we're missing the base of Mekdash, which is bad, we've been freed from the containment, from the straight and narrow of the base of Mekdash, which is good. We can bring godliness down into the world anytime, any place, and soon you'll see that there's an argument to be made that we're actually bringing down a higher godliness. But the Rebbe moves on to something else. In the pasuk mi'itencha ka'achli, 
we are speaking to God and saying, I wish you would be like my brother. And then we answer our own lament, we answer our own wish with the words, Yenik as if God Almighty is going to nourish from our mother's nurse. Now, what does that mean? Our mother's milk. What does that mean? Achlov, and the question becomes, How do you explain? That since we are brothers with God Almighty, He, like we, nursed my mother's milk. What does this mean? To be like a brother. To nurse, so to speak. As we study Teda, we are creating our mother. Teda our mother, which is nursing HaKadosh Baruch. And let's be direct. This is not a new question and this is not the first time the question has been asked and it's a classic discussion. There's a mystical concept where we feed God. Now first of all, let's make it very clear. You're not feeding God. You're feeding godliness. You're feeding Attilas. You cannot feed God. That's number one. And number two, the way we feed God is not by giving Him food. We feed God by giving Him a seat, giving Him a place. We make the vessel, and the light manifests. Our Tate and Mitzvahs open up new doors, new opportunity, new name, new shame, as they're called in Kabbalah, for the manifesting of godliness. And this process of creating a framework for more godliness to come down is called sustaining Him, sustaining Atzilus, making Atzilus bigger and more uh, capable of bringing down more godliness and more nourishment. And I'm reading it now inside. The answer is There's a concept of Yidin being a shepherd. Like it says in the Pesukim, it's explained in my Mora Machei, the Jewish people can be the sister. And the Raya, which means literally the friend. But it's interpreted to mean the one who shepherds. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and revives him with Panas. And it says in the Chazal, Yisrael, Mephanes, Navi, Yemshabashmai, the Jewish people give Panasa to Hashem. Like you all know the story of the Baal Shem Tev, where he said that the Panos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is for the praises that we give him. Now Hashem is not hungry, but the ability for Hashemliness to come down to us is hungry, and it needs fuel to bring it down. And the fuel which brings it down is the the praise we do to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as discussed in the Maimon that speak about this story of the Hedek of Baal Shem Tev, and here it's through Tev, as bread, bread, in addition to feeding the body, joins the neshama and the guf. is also the kind of panos on high, which means we create a healthy merkava, healthy seat. to bring down additional godly lights. which are the body or the evorim, right? Evrosei, they vorim the malt. Shafilu chokmela, even the speed of chokma is ainer echalein say baruch is too low for the ain sof, and therefore it will not come down, or certainly won't come down very generously, and therefore v'sheyir nimshechol v'slavet behem. We want to bring down godliness. We want to bring down additional godliness into atzilos, and you do this by nourishing atzilos, broaden the vessels, and bring down more light. But, uh, by studying this is explained in Hasidus based on the Pasuk this is our God now the word Kivinu means we hope, we trust in Him but Kabbalah translates the word Kivinu as Kavim Kavs 
a right line, a left line, a center line. Kaf means pathways, channels, mesiles, drochem, through which godliness comes down. We create pathways for godliness. But there is such a thing as erratic, chaotic, pathless godliness, but that's not good for godliness and it's certainly not good for us. We call the Elam In Elam there's kavim, pathways for the godliness to manifest. In the times of the Beis it was very precise, very exact, and very revealed. That's the Kruv. Nowadays it's far less precise, much less revealed, but it's an opportunity to bring down much more godliness. Pirush, this means, we brought godliness down through the form of pathways. The this means his lap shows the eighteen saw bases feeders bringing God down into the ten feeders, and the halachim will give a kav and divide it up into three pathways of chesed that are yamin of chulu chesed yehuda and tefedes. Or connect them in practical terms. This is bechinas tein of avedug mils chasadim, and we'll talk about avedug mils chasadim perhaps next week. We're talking now about teira shabbat, and of course, when you're studying teira shabbat, please keep in mind again. You don't experience the Nevoan Ruch HaKedesh, you experience only the ideas, the Acherayim, but in truth you have made a Keli for Ponim. And the Rebbe concludes, The face of godliness which we create through our Yagiyah and being Machadish Chadushim Amitiyam. In Teresh of Alper is going to affect it. Lost at love, we're going to get a great godliness, which is the result of the imi, the Teresh of Alper, which we struggled with in Zmanagos. At that time, there will be the revelation of godliness through the channels of Atilus, which we created through the learning of Teresh of Alper. Line 83. But why not Teresh of Alper? Now, I told you before, because Teresh HaBaksav is godliness. And if you don't get the godliness, you have nothing. Teresh is also intellectualism. And if you don't have the godliness, at least you have the intellect, which makes it a keli for the godliness. But here we had something else. And if I'm not wrong, what he's saying is, it's not only that Teresh takes the place of Teresh HaBaksav in Zmanagolas. It actually exceeds it. It goes past it. Why is it that the seed for godliness in Smanagolas made through Teres, Dafka, through Halacha, and Teres of Alpeh, which is the level of Teres, which is strictly intellectual? The scripture, the Teres of Aksav, is the Musir of our father. While the Teres of Alpeh, the Teres of the oral Teres, the Teres of our mother. Now what do we know about the difference between what our father gives us and what our mother gives us? Our father gives us a point and the mother develops that point into a child. Similarly, Teresh is only a point. The development of that point is in Teresh HaBalpeh. Like a physical father, his contribution is a putrid point. The actual development of the fetus. The aim is in the mother's rechem, in the mother's womb. If you want to know the details and the correct psak of the halacha, it's hubatelish is by bringing it down to into the intellectual and analytical and oral level of the study of the tater. In other words, 
Tere Shabbat Ksav comes from Chochma. In other words, there is advantage in understanding the Torah on the level of Bina and sacrificing the Ruach HaKedosh on the level of Chochmah because you know what you, know what you have to do. Accordingly, in Zmana Golos, you want to make a Mishkan, you want to make a Merkava, an Adam, to receive godliness without Keruvim. The answer is Torah and Torah Shabbat specifically. But according to what we said so far, it's saying Teresh Bixav and Teresh Balpeh are equal, but in Teresh Bixav it's only in a point, and in Teresh Balpeh it's very well developed. But now the Rebbe is going to change his mind. There's a concept called delight, Tainuk, which is a metaphor for the Ein Sof. says the Rebbe, there is more delight, there's more pleasure in Bina than in Chochmah. We understand the matter thoroughly after much analysis. The godliness or the delight which is brought forward is very, very rich and very deep. discusses it. And of course it says in What's the Rebbe saying now? The Rebbe is saying now that when you struggle to understand intellectually, you're not Simply bringing down godliness as you would by reading Tereh Shabbat Kedabesh Meisav Shalakadosh Baruch Hu in better times. You're actually bringing down more godliness because the godliness and understanding exceeds the godliness and the spark of Choch. Vezehu, when this is why Shenem Adetetetet says that in Zman, Agolos, we tell the Rebbe Shua making you a seat. And you'll be able to nurse from this seat like you would have made yourself a Merkava or been present in the Merkava that existed in this man of the base of Mikdash, and in fact you're exceeding it. The godliness brought down, which is now dark, and will only be revealed the Yasud Love, through our Tedesh of Alpeh, is arguably because it's from being a greater than the godliness which will be brought down. Yasud Love from Chochm. And this is his mother's bosom. Because milk is delightful to the child. It's the idea of Insaf. And it brings forward from godliness. The revelation of godliness which is going to be revealed to us at Lavi down here. We should delight in the rays of godliness. And God Almighty comes and will come to play, to rejoice with the Tzadikim. To the study of Teda, and particularly the study of Teda, which is by itself unenlightened, which brings to an enlightenment and a revelation of godliness, which is greater than the godliness of Chochmah, where the godliness is overt. Like it says in the Chazal, by studying law every day. You guarantee yourself a portion of the Elam Why Halacha? It's groping in the darkness for the truth, which is what Teirish permits us. Now that the, so to speak, Anshkan Sagadela removed the centricity of Rochakedish and Nevuah, as was in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, now we struggle with intellectualism and loss of love. We're going to experience all of this godliness. And I told you the story in the past, and I don't want to engage too much. But the story of uh, the Tzemach Tzedek. Rabbi Isaac Homler used to say that the Alter Rebbe had Ruach HaKedosh always. 
The middle Rebbe had Ruch HaKedosh when he wished. And the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, had Ruch HaKedosh from time to time. So naturally the Hasidim pounced on Rabbi Isaac Hamlet and said, Excuse me, who are you to put our Rebbe on a lower station in the Rebbeim before? And his response was, they asked him, the you have Ruach HaKedosh that you're saying, Mavinus? So his response was, Ruach HaKedosh habach nisht, aber amaven bin. I may not have Ruach HaKedosh, but I'm an expert. And I say that the Alter Rebbe had Ruach HaKedosh all the time, the middle of the Rebbe, whenever he wished, and it's a Machterik on occasion. Then he paused and he said, Amolus Besanisht, aber Ruach HaKedosh. You don't always want divine inspiration. Because it takes away the Ime element, the Yagi and Teresh which is a special mitzvah, which creates a special Merkava Felakus in Zmanagos.